Yo, Albert Tate Podcast Season 1 and a half. It's the remix season. It was time for me to fire myself. Nobody understands what I've had to endure to get and achieve what I've done. Don't feel embarrassed about your call. I feel like we're at this threshold of opportunity. Listen, I'm so excited to have you tuning in. Uh, season 1 Remix is all about me taking the interviews from Season 1 and kind of giving my reflection, kind of sharing my thoughts um, and inviting you into the experience of the interview uh, and also hopefully inspiring you and encouraging you uh, from some of the things that I took away from those conversations. I sat down with the premier leadership podcaster, Kerry Newhoff. I mean, the man's a beast. Uh, he's He's gotten so big, I probably couldn't even interview him again. Like, he's probably on another level now, but I got that one, and I'm going to work it for all it's worth. Like, Kerry is an amazing resource for leadership, for learning, and just encouragement. The, the guy is just a great guy, and I absolutely loved talking to him. We were sitting talking. We were in the lobby of Exponential, a big church planning conference, uh, and we got a chance to have a conversation on leadership. And Kerry just made me just think about what does it mean for me to be a leader? Um, and what leadership means for me. And there are three things that I want to talk to you about leadership uh, that came from my reflection from me talking with Carrie about scaling and knowing yourself and knowing uh, your, your limitations and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are three things. And at first, they're not going to make sense, but write these three things down, and we're going to connect the dots here in a little bit. Um, leadership. What you need to know about leadership. You need plumbing, you need receipts, and you need a bus. Uh, plumbing, receipts, and a bus. Don't make sense now, but doggone it, I'm good at what I do. You sit and watch this thing work. I'm telling you, it's about to get good. Now watch it fail miserably now because I'm being arrogant. All right. Um, we, um, we're doing a remodel at our house. We're remodeling our kitchen. And this has just been like a big task. I got four kids. Uh, my sister lives with me. She helps us out with the kids and my wife. So we've got we got a full house, yo. So to destroy the hub of the house to remodel it is a big on undertaking. So instead of moving out of the house for three, four months, because I looked at it, we live in Southern California, to rent a house for four months is extremely expensive. But we got a baby, so we, all the dust and all the stuff that comes with a remodel, we couldn't stay there. So I got this brilliant idea of buying an RV because I did the math, what it costs for rent for, you know, three months. I could buy an RV. So we bought an RV. Now, what's funny about me buying an RV is if you've known me for, I don't know, seven minutes, it takes about seven minutes to figure out I am the least outdoor person you will ever meet. Like, my poor wife married a man that can't fix nothing at the house. I don't even have a two box. People gave us a toolbox for Christmas. It's pink and with a pink hammer in it because it's for the girls. Because it's clearly obvious that your husband will not be using this thing. Like, we have, so the, the, the contractors and the carpenters and stuff at the church, they just know this. So they just come to my wife secretly. I don't even know. They come to my wife and just say, hey, if you need anything at the house, um, I'm here to help you out. Parenthetically, basically what they're saying is, I know your husband is a complete loser in this area. So if you need help, please. And, and I'm not offended at that. I'm like, praise the Lord. Because I hadn't changed the light bulb in five years. We got lights at our house. I, I couldn't get it out. I couldn't turn the thing. I don't, so, yo, I am the least outdoorsy person. So when people hear me having an RV, they're like, bro, what in the world are you doing with an RV? I bought it online. 
I didn't even look at it, didn't drive it. I mean, I just I just saw it online, saw it was a good deal, and I had it shipped here from Michigan. So it arrives. I can't drive a truck with a trailer. I'm not, I don't even have a truck that can carry the thing. So I had to call somebody. The guy was dropping it off. He couldn't get it in our yard because we got this long driveway. I had to call two people. Anyway, the RV has sat on the street for about two weeks. We got tickets, we got neighbors calling the police, complaining, because I can't get the freaking thing in the driveway because I don't know how to do it and I'm dependent upon other people doing it. We finally get it in and it looks, yo, here's the thing though. Your boy is all about fashion and style and look. It looks good. So I got in there and it looked and I plugged it up. Turns out you need special plugs, you need electricity, you need all this other kind of stuff. Um, but. It looks good, and we got it parked there, and that's about all I know. So I gotta call my friend Dave to come over, and we figure out how to hook the water up. Y'all, let me tell you something. After sitting in there, the TV works. I was able to get that done. It got nice new little, like, little leather couch in there. It got the refrigerator, I got it stocked. You know what I mean? With, you know, uh, religiously appropriate drinks uh, in the refrigerator. So I got it, so I'm up in there. I'm just ready to chill. I'm just ready to chill, and I was like, Man, we gotta get the water on. So, yo, we take the water hose, hook it up to the thing. And what I discover is there is a whole nother level when it comes to RVs. Like, it's not like something you pull out of a box and you just plug it in and it works. You would think that it does, right? But it doesn't. Like, yo, plumbing is a thing. It, I'm just telling you, it is a thing. So if anybody's out there and you're about to buy an RV offline without reading any instruction books, let me warn you, plumbing is a thing. We turn the water on for the first time and we're like, oh, the faucet, the faucet works. And I'm outside, we've got like an outdoor kitchen. My wife starts screaming from the inside. One of the bathrooms, the sink doesn't drain. So water's spewing all out on the floor. So now we got water coming out of the RV. We get that cleaned up. Turn the water off, turn the water off. We get it clean, we get it done. Then I see the back and I just see water gushing out of the back of the RV. And I'm like, what? It is, what? Well, the outdoor kitchen has got the cover closed, but the faucet is running in there. So it's flooding over there. So turn the water off, turn the water. We gotta go get that cleaned up, whatever. Last night, we're starting to get settled in. We cook in the RV for the first time. We cook. So my sister cooked spaghetti on the oven. I got the gas on, got it lit. Nobody got blown up. You're like, praise God. I was like, man, I'm, I'm roughing it. This is great. Give me a light bulb. Let me change it. You know, so I'm feeling all manly, right? So we got it. We, my sister's washing the dishes in the sink. Well, after about a couple of hours, we start to see water coming out of the bathroom. Somehow the dishwater is coming through the shower in the bedroom through the bottom of the shower and it's flooding out of the shower and it's running down. So Dave, the guy I normally call is out of town. So I don't know what to do. We got water coming out. So I get the water off. I know to do that, but you got all this water. So I go and I <laughs> get the pump. And I, I remember watching Dave pull this thing and the water comes out. So I pull it and the water comes gushing out at the bottom. Uh, and now I got spaghetti noodles and sauce all on the concrete for the water came out. I'm telling you, it was a mess. Plumbing is a thing. Just because it looks good, it's comfortable, it's new, it's shiny, you got the TV to work, doesn't mean that there's a whole other level of unseen things that you need to master. When we talk about leadership, 
I fear that so many times we focus on the things that look good and the things that have an outward appearance um, and we polish the external things, but there are a whole other, there's a whole other system that's unseen that has to be mastered in order for you to function effectively. One of the big, biggest risks as a leader was for me to be gifted at communicating, gifted at speaking, have a charisma where people like me, but have a whole underbelly of character that's not mastered. To not understand the plumbing of integrity, to not understand the plumbing of the, of the spirit of God and his righteousness and submitting and surrendering to who God's called you to be unto God, not unto an audience of a thousand, not unto an applause that I love to receive, not unto a book deal that I want to sign, but unto God. It requires a depth and a mastery of spiritual plumbing that if goes unchecked, you'll create a mess a mess of a life, a mess of a marriage, a mess of a ministry, if you don't deal with the spiritual plumbing that's required for leadership. Leadership ain't a bunch of John Maxwell top 10 practices. If those things aren't drenched and sanctified in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, then you're missing the mastery of the spiritual plumbing that God has called us to lead in. Leadership is not just getting consistency in journaling and knocking off to-do lists and setting a goal and finishing it and acquiring the goal. That's not, that's not leadership. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual leadership. And spiritual, spiritual leadership requires Jesus. It requires the spirit of the living God. All these leadership gurus out there and their podcasts, they're probably next in line with my podcast. And it's great. I ain't mad at them. They're giving great advice, but just I don't want you to think that this spiritual advice. I don't want you to think that it's drawing you closer to Christ. As a matter of fact, most of those spiritual, most of those podcasts that, cl that clothe themselves in spiritual truths but don't apply the fullness thereof, you're not getting closer to God. You're getting closer to yourself learning how to master yourself. You're learning how to be the best you. Well, what I've discovered, my best me still pales in comparison and who God's created me to be. My best me without Christ is my worst me. And the worst thing you can do actually is get good at being you. So a lot of these leader gurus that are out there perpetuating themselves to be these voices to bring you to, a greater of, to the greatness of yourself, be careful. It's a dangerous journey to learning how to own yourself because you've already been bought with a price. So you don't own yourself. You belong to God and who you are should be surrendered to him. And you've got to master that plumbing lest you have crap coming out all over the place that you can't control because you look good and you sell well online, but your plumbing is jacked up. You look good on social media. You look good online but how's your plumbing? It has to be mastered for you to be effectively who God's called you to be. Leadership requires the mastery of the spiritual plumbing. Not only that, but receipts, receipts, receipts. So I've had a journey with my weight, yo, for a long time, and I've had seasons of good health, and I've had seasons called normal. Uh, <laughs> I've had Monday. 
Um, and I noticed something. Man, I love McDonald's breakfast. Uh, I love McDonald's lunch. I love McDonald's. I love Wendy's as well. So, and those two just happen to be on my route to work. They happen to be on my route everywhere. They are everywhere. Um, and you, you know, you're supposed to try to get kale salad and smoothies and all this other kind of crap that they don't sell at Wendy's. And with, actually, I noticed they do have a salad section, but somehow I never seem to notice it when I'm ordering at Wendy's. What happens though, when you go through these drive throughs and when you eat out all the time in my truck, I would give them my card. I'd pay, pay with my little card and then they'd give me a receipt. And I just noticed when I get ready to clean out my truck or somebody else gets in my truck, I've got a door. You know that little pocket in the door? It's filled with receipts. It's filled with receipts. And when I look at those receipts, I feel guilt and shame. And I also see evidence for when my wife gets in my truck, she'll look over and see all of a pile of white receipts and be like, what, you've been to McDonald's this many? You've been five times this week? I was like, oh. I gotta get rid of these receipts, man. I gotta get rid of these receipts. So now, notice, I'm using my discipline not to not go to these places, but when I go and give them my, my card, I've been requesting the last three, four months, um, no receipt, please, no receipt, please. And if you notice, they're trained to give you, they give you the card back with the receipt. I've gone out of my way. I will take the card out of their hand and say, no receipt, and just leave the receipt in their hand. And it is the most awkward thing, because it's like, it's right here, literally just take the receipt. I was like, no, 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 uh, no receipts, please, no receipts. I'll just take the card. So every day, I'm going to McDonald's, and I'm trying to remember, no receipts, ma'am, please, no receipts, no thank you, no receipts, no receipts. Um, and what I'm saying when I say no receipts is no accountability. I don't want to be held accountable for what I just purchased. I don't want any evidence for this lack of, this area of lack of discipline and low key borderline lack of integrity that I'm living in. I don't want any accountability in this area. I don't want anyone else to see it because I don't want any evidence because I know it's not healthy and I don't want anything putting on display the healthy habits that I've accepted and adopted as normal. Good leadership not only requires a managing and a mastering of your spiritual plumbing, but the reality is there are seasons when your best efforts will still be marked with failure and disappointment and discouragement. You're not gonna do everything well. And all I'm saying is, when you get into one of those seasons, don't hide the receipts. Because once you start hiding, it's hard to stop. Have people in your life invite people to see the receipts and to hold you accountable for the reality of where you are. Don't hide where you are. It is a slippery slope and it will sabotage your leadership. It'll betray all of your best efforts. It'll take you away from all that you're trying to do to scale, to follow all of John Maxwell's rules and laws. You, he, all those would be great. Your secrets and your refusal to keep receipts will betray your best efforts to be the leader that God's created you to be. And I don't care if you're a mom trying to raise kids, I don't care if you're a mom trying to work, um, get your real estate on, or you, you uh, in, the, in, in the classroom, I don't care where you are, I don't care if you're a dad trying to work out, trying to get healthy, or a dad trying to stay faithful to your wife, 
and you're clearing your email, your website search because you don't want receipts of your bad behavior. You're clearing uh, your searches online because you know that it's not honoring of the leader that God's called you to be. I'm just telling you, once you start hiding the receipts, it becomes a lifestyle of hiding receipts. I'm just telling you now. I'm, I'm so conscious. When I go up to Wendy's, I was like, remember, tell her no receipts. Because this is awkward when they give you a card and you got to try to take the receipt. So I look at the receipt almost as kryptonite. And I don't want to touch it. So I'm reaching in her hand, which she got both of them together. I'm like, just give me the card, please. Just the card. No, no receipts. Thank you. Because I'm trying to avoid any sense of accountability. How much work are you having to put in to avoid accountability? Well, you can just be honest. I'm having a hard season. I'm off the wagon and I need help. <sighs> Keep the receipts, friends. It'll help your leadership. Finally, I think leadership, um, you, um, you need a fierce resolve to finish well. Uh, plumbing, receipts, finally the bus. Uh, about two years ago, I ran a half marathon. Now, if you know me, uh, not only am I not an outdoors person, but I don't work out at all. I, um, it, I don't want to be fat. I want to be healthy, but I don't want to work out and I want to eat. So that gets in the way of my success. <laughs> um, so I did something big. I said, I'm going to do a half marathon. A group of us were sitting together and we just committed and signed up for the Disney marathon. Immediately afterwards, I regretted it. I was like, what are you doing? You're too fat to be running. You don't run. That's not what we do. We eat and we make fun of people who run. That's what we do. Um, but I said, I'm going to do it. And I committed to it. Um, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, running, it felt like death. <laughs> it felt like absolute death. Um, and it wasn't even a, a, a fast death. It was a slow death. It wasn't a microwave death. No, it was a crockpot death. I'm on a slow burn to death. And you know how people say when you run, oh man, after a while it feels good. No, never felt good. Not one second, never felt good. Always felt like death. Uh, the first day and the fifth day and the fifth week, death, 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 death. Oh wait, oh, and death. Um, so I was never encouraged. I was never happy about it. I was never excited. Um, and I was also scared because I was, I was scared. What if you don't finish? How embarrassing. I told my church about the marathon. I talked about it openly and publicly. That was the only way I was going to do it because if not, I was going to cancel it. I, my friend low-key said, Albert, you should just cancel, not do this marathon. The church will understand. They'll be all right. Like literally, I wanted to quit. One day I'm overhearing people talk about the marathon. They've done it. And my friend mentions there's this bus. And I was like, what, there's a bus? There's a bus that if you're too slow, because I was thinking I had all the time in the world. No, at some point they got to open the park back up. So if you are slower than this time, which is like a really slow time, but it was like three hours or two and a half hours, whatever. But if you are slower than that, there's this bus that just starts coming and it just starts picking people up. And these are people that have been too slow to finish the race. And they're like, okay, time's up, sir. You gotta get on the bus. And they just start picking people up. There was another lady there, older lady, who's telling me, she was like, yeah, Albert, I was walking and the bus got behind me. And I just said, cause the bus, if, 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 as long, if it doesn't catch you, you don't have to worry about it. But if that bus catches you, 
you got to get on the bus. And she said, Albert, it was behind me. And I was just walking. I saw that bus and I said, no, not today. And I just started walking and I started walking fast and the bus didn't catch me. I stayed off the bus and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what if I have to get on the bus? That's even more embarrassing than not doing the marathon, to do the marathon and not finish and get picked up on the bus that's there to pick up people that couldn't finish the marathon. I just think there's a bunch of fat people on the bus like me that shouldn't have been on this marathon to begin with. I told you I should have quit. So I'm sitting there and the whole time I'm prepping, the whole time I'm planning, I'm thinking, um, I'm gonna get picked up by this bus and it's gonna be embarrassing. So that becomes the goal. Not even to get a certain time. Some people are got, I wanna have my best time ever, bump a time. I just don't want to get on the bus. So the day of the marathon happens. And running, I'll admit, there have been times when I've got, I've felt the endorphins. I know the endorphins, I felt them. And I felt, I felt kinda good. There have been moments where I passed it. But they usually take hours to kick in. I need it. Why can't endorphins kick in the first two minutes? Then I probably have a better shot at this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, no, I'll feel the endorphins and quit after 20 minutes. That's probably what happens. So God knows what he's doing there. Y'all, the, the race starts and you go through Disney. So it's beautiful. You walk running through Disneyland in the first five, 10 minutes. The worst self-talk that I've ever given myself ever. Albert, this is terrible. You're surrounded by these runners. You, this is not going to go well. This is terrible. Um, and I'm just talking about how hard it's going to be. I can't believe I just did this. I've got 12 more miles to go. I can't believe I just, and this little lady comes up alongside me and I don't know. I don't know where she came from. I saw her then. I didn't see her again. I don't know if she was a marathon angel from Disney Jesus. Um, but she comes up, this little white lady, and she looks up at me because she's short. She looks up at me and she says, you got this. And you know, and first of all, I'm like, lady, who? I don't even know you. What are you doing? Where you come from? This is a little white lady. Why are you talking to me, lady? And then she looks at me again. She doubles down. She repeats herself. She looks at me and in my eyes, and as though she was speaking to my soul, she looked at me and she said, you got this. And I look back at this lady and I said, Yes, I, I got this, yes. And I'm crying and can't breathe because I'm running. But she inspires me. And y'all, from that moment on, I said, yo, I am going to finish this race. And I'm going to finish it not on the bus. And I start running. Now, you got to understand, when I say running, I mean a swift walk just below a jog. But I'm doing it with passion. I'm doing it. And then, then to seal my faith, this guy who's about 60, um, who's probably a little bit bigger than me, he comes and he says, hey, I've been watching you since we left. And I think you're about my pace. You're just right and about where I am. So I'm, I think I'm just going to keep up with you. And if I can keep up with you, I got it. I think we're right on the same pace. And I thought to myself, honestly, I thought to myself, no, the hell we ain't. Uh, but I, I don't cuss. So I, don't, so I didn't really say it like that. But I thought it like that. And I said, no. Uh, so I took off. And my goal now is to keep ahead of this guy. Because if he thinks I'm a 60-year-old like him, he's lost his mind. So now I've got a fierce resolve, not just to finish, but to finish well. And I did it. 
I didn't. I didn't even see a bus. I don't even know if a bus existed. I never saw a bus. I finished that race, and that 60-year-old guy that was trying to keep up with me, he was on the bus. No, I don't know. I don't know if he was on the bus or not, but I just never wanted to see him again in my life. So I think the Lord sent me an angel, and then he sent me Satan. Um, but I guess my point is leadership, it requires a fierce resolve to finish well and to stay off the bus of immorality, of fear, of failure. Make up in your mind, you're gonna stay off the bus. I'm telling you, you got this. So even, this, even though it's hard, even though you're in difficult times, you got this. Finish and make a fierce resolve, not just to finish, but to finish well. Because leaders master the plumbing of their soul. They keep the receipts, even though it's hard, so that they might invite accountability in their life. And with that, they have a fierce resolve to finishing well and staying off the bus. Leaders, arise, let's go. I mean, I don't know, I felt like Braveheart or something. I felt like we needed some dramatic clothes. Leaders, arise, rise up, don't take receipts. All right, okay, it's over. I'm going to McDonald's, peace. Stadia is a church planning organization whose vision is to see a world where every child has a church. Though our vision is God-sized, our mission is simple, to plant churches that intentionally care for children. Called and affirmed leaders who plant with Stadia are demonstrating what it means to plant churches that don't simply survive, but thrive. 90% of U.S. churches planted by Stadia are still engaged in their mission on their fifth birthday. And globally, more than 40,000 children have been sponsored as a result of U.S. churches partnering with our high-impact, like-minded partners. But we won't stop until every child has a church. There are more children needing churches right now than ever before. 8,600 new churches need to be planted every year in the United States alone in order to keep up with population growth. That translates to tens of thousands of churches globally. But we don't need only more churches. We need better churches. In the U.S., 3,700 churches close their doors every single year. And globally, many obstacles get in the way of the long-term success of churches. Stadia is committed to meeting the needs of children around the world by planting more and better churches. In the U.S., we now share our portfolio of services with open-handed generosity, providing services with no strings attached to planters, organizations, denominations, and networks so that more churches can be planted than ever before. We pray that our generosity may spur others to invest in church planting, both in the U.S. and around the world. We're honored to be a part of the church planting journey, and we anxiously look forward to seeing how God will work to transform the landscape of communities in the United States and around the globe. And we promise we won't stop until every child 
as a church. If you want to learn more, go to stadiachurchplanning.org.